0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in Dorado Springs. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just a sum of every high and every low save me I believe taking all I have and now I'm laying it at your feet you have every failure God you'll have Every victory. Whoa. Oh. You say i love, but I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong, but I think I'm weak. You say.
1: sing one of these days, but he's doing pretty well right now practicing. Um, you know, while you're opening your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, I mentioned in my prayer, but who wants to do the honors? Rhett, uh, Brooke, you got Rhett. Would you just stand and let us take a look at this little miracle baby? That's just so sweet. Um, wow. Welcome, welcome to church for the first time, and... Uh, Congratulations. I know it's been a long, long 10 weeks, and uh, I'm concerned about his weight gain. He's up to 6 pounds, almost up to 7 pounds, so started at 3 pounds. And, uh, but anyway, um, I think parents or child are doing good, and Grammy and Papa are doing pretty well, too. So um, congratulations, guys. This is the second lesson in our series entitled, "Right in Your Eye. And and we're looking at part of the ugly underbelly of the American dream that goes something like this. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Now, because we're supposedly, you catch that, supposedly a civilized society, we change it to say this. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Now, one of the books that's anchoring part of our series is the book of Judges and It's a history of the 330 years from when Israel moved into the promised land up to when they became a monarchy. Or in other words, when they went to a system of kings. But what happened during these 330 years is the nation of Israel abandoned God's law. And and last week I told you why they abandoned God's law. It was because they had something in common with you. Remember, they didn't like to be told what to do. And so basically everybody did whatever they wanted. And, and there is a verse that appears several times in, in Judges that characterizes this time period. They did what was right in their own eyes. And they would go through this cycle. They would do what they wanted, disobey God's law, it would result in disaster. They would cry out for help. God would send a deliverer. So for 330 years, catch this, this nation got in trouble, got delivered. Got in trouble, got delivered. Got in trouble, got delivered. Got in trouble, got got delivered, which sounds a lot like us. Now, last week, we began this series by going to the last three chapters of Judges. Today, we're going to bounce back to the beginning of Judges. And uh, and actually, we're going to go back further, get a running start in the last chapter of Joshua, which will then take us on into Judges. And And by the way, as Jim said, you'll be grateful that our scripture will not nearly be as disturbing as the story of the concubine being chopped up into 12 pieces. So you'll be grateful. We're going to leave that there. However, even though the story may not be as disturbing, the message, at least for me personally, hits closer to home. And it really made me think a lot. Ready to go? The way that I want to set the stage for our lesson today is by saying that our our, our scripture is kind of like the last night of church camp. And by the way, how many of you, whether it was to a kid's camp or to a youth camp, whatever, how many of you at least one time in your life you attended church camp? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't, I'm really sorry. Sorry. You missed that opportunity. If you're young, you'll still have that opportunity maybe. But um, Now, there, there are two emotional things that typically happen on the last night of church camp. One is silly. The other is serious. First of all, on the silly silly side, on the last night of church camp, you can always count on the girls crying. And if you ask them, why are you crying? Well, they don't know. That's just what you do on the last night of camp. And I think they say they're crying because they will miss all of their friends. And I don't know. I don't understand that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't want to understand it. But the last night of camp for the girls is a big boo-hoo Kleenex fest. You have girls hugging each other and and, and all that stuff. That's the silly part. But the second thing that happens the last night of church camp is really serious. And, and it's emotional, but for another reason. As, as people have been spiritually vested and, and spent the week listening to teaching and hearing testimonies and, and seeing God work and, and personally, they, they've been recommitting their lives to Christ and seeing others do the same thing. Many of them know that as they go home, they will need to make some changes in their lives. If they're going to continue to follow Jesus, they will need to give up some things And maybe add some disciplines to their lives. And so what happens is that many times people commit to going home and breaking up with their boyfriend or breaking up with their girlfriend because they're doing things they shouldn't do. Or they make a commitment to go home and, and patch things up with their parents and ask forgiveness for bad attitudes or for sneaking out at night or whatever. Many times the last night of camp also involves a commitment to not hang around the wrong crowd anymore and a commitment to find some new friends and maybe even a commitment to get more plugged into youth group and church. And of course, all of this is very, very good because this means that they want to follow Jesus, not only at camp, but at home in real life. And this is very good. Well, our lesson today is is very similar to the last night of camp. Israel is making some commitments. And the setting is that Joshua knows he's about to die. And so he lovingly gathers together, together this nation, and he gives them a big speech, similar to what the camp leader might do on the last night of camp. Here's a snapshot of that speech, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord... And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods. Your far- forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, using church camp terminology, this is basically code for break up with your boyfriend, break up with your girlfriend, get rid of your cigarettes, get rid of your hidden stash of drugs, quit looking at pornography. Get rid of anything that's polluting you and bringing your spiritual life down. Joshua says, throw away the false gods. Well, how did the people respond to Joshua? You would have been proud of their response. Verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In other words, Joshua, we've got this. Don't you worry. When you're gone, you can rest assured that we will stay true to the Lord Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 17. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our forefathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. In other words, Joshua, the miracles that God performed for 40 years in the wilderness to get us here, the manna, the quail, the water coming out of a rock and... And our shoes not wearing out for 40 years. All of that helped us to clearly see that God's hand was upon us. Verse 18. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations. Including the Amorites. Who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord. Because he's our God. So Joshua. Don't worry. We've got this. We'll always be faithful. You have our word. We will not forsake the Lord. Well, do you know want to? Do you do you want to know how Joshua responded? He was so skeptical, and he responded back and basically said, "Yeah, right. I know you guys. I've watched you for forty years. I've seen how fickle you are, and I've seen that when it comes to serving God, you're like a bunch of yo-yos." up and down you start and stop you're you're hot and you're cold in fact let's read what Joshua said remember these people have just said far be it from us to forsake god and serve other gods verse 19 Joshua said to the people you're not able to serve the lord it's pretty blunt Joshua said i, I know what you just told me i know you won't stay faithful you don't have a very good track record. Well, the people argued back in verse 21. Uh, that they said, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua then said, okay, prove it. Prove it. And this is so fascinating because Joshua said, um, by the way, I happen to be aware of the fact that you've already started worshiping false gods. So you say you're going to serve the Lord? okay a good start would be for you to get rid right now of these pagan gods that you're already serving. In fact, let's read it in verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So so prove the seriousness of your commitment by getting rid of the foreign gods that you have in your life right now. Well, the people again said in verse 24, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. It was like Joshua then said, okay, you're making some pretty strong statements here. So I'm going to document what you're committing to. I'm going to take minutes. I'm going to write this down in verse 26. It it says, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. That's a pretty serious book. Then he took a large stone and, and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, the stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. So Joshua said, not only am I documenting and minuting your commitment in the book of the law of God, but we're going to take a large stone. This is not going to, we're not going to serve it as a God. It will be a visual reminder of your commitment to God. Well, two verses later, Joshua dies, which then takes us into the book of Judges. So, did they honor their commitment to stay faithful to the Lord? It's almost as if the flowers over Joshua's grave hadn't even wilted yet when Scripture tells us in Judges 2, 2 says, Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And you know what? I I think it's easy for us at times to be critical of them. But can I remind us that we're not much better? How many times? Listen up. How many times after church camp, it wasn't very many days or weeks, and we settled back into our same patterns? Or in the days of of, of church revivals, how many times did we go forward to the altar and and make a commitment to God only to break our commitment a short time later? You know, when I was a kid, I think I went to the altar just about every revival that came through town. And, and, And I needed to. Sometimes I went multiple nights. The evangelist knew that there would always be at least one person at the altar when he was preaching. That'd be me. But it seems that I would always slide back into my old patterns. Or, are you listening? How many times have we seen people go to a conference, maybe a men's encounter, or the women's Ashes to Beauty conference, or maybe a men's Promise Keepers that they had a few years ago, or women of faith? And they made a commitment to do what is right. But how many times have we seen, or actually how many times are we the ones that have backed away from our commitment and in our own way began following false gods? And that's exactly what Israel did. We read that in Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. I mean, they hardly even had time to change clothes from Joshua's funeral. And here they are doing the exact thing same exact thing that they swore they'd never do. It's almost like they got home from church camp and went right back to the stuff that they were doing, that they said, we won't do anymore. Verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And it's almost in a sense, they began looking around saying, Hey, Everybody else is doing it. I mean, if this is what people do in the land of Canaan, we certainly don't want to be oddballs. We want to fit in. And so they abandoned the law of God and it says they provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. Now, Ashtoreth was basically the female counterpart of Baal. And there are a couple of problems with, with serving, worshiping Baal and, and Ashtoreth. One was that they were represented by idols. And of course, they weren't supposed to have any image that represented God. That was a big. No, no. But what was so tragic was that when things got really bad in worship to Baal, they would sacrifice a child to Baal. That was when things got really bad. Well, when things got really, really, really bad, you know, there's famine no rain, whatever, they would sacrifice multiple children to Baal. In fact, there was one period of history, and this is documented, where they required the richest people in the kingdoms to sacrifice their firstborn because they thought that would get Baal's attention. And so the people of Israel dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. And verse 14 says, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to the raiders who, who plundered them. He, he sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. And so God basically said, okay, you like the Canaanites? You want to copy them? I'm not going to force you to serve me. If you want to follow what they're doing, have at it. I release you. And as the scripture said, the result was that soon they were no longer conquering the nations around them that God had told them to conquer. Rather, they were being conquered by those same nations and they gave up. They surrendered their freedom. And here's the thing. This always slips upon us. We rarely see it coming until it's too late. And we say, I want to do what I want to do when I want with whom I want. And this is so much fun. (laughs) Isn't this great? This is the life. I've never had such a good time. I I can't believe I missed out on this. But then after a while, it's like, uh oh, I'm doing what I want to do when I want with whom I want. But it's not so much fun now. And worse than that, I can't quit. Now, there's such a huge lesson in this for all of us. And I realize that not everybody here grew up in church. But in this part of the country, whether or not we grew up in church, we had a conscience that was kind of tuned into the teachings of scriptures. You know, we're in the Bible Belt, a very religious part of our country. And so we knew the basic tenets of right and wrong. We knew that premarital sex was wrong. We knew that having an affair was wrong. Whether or not we grew up in church, we knew that doing drugs was wrong. We knew that cheating was wrong. We knew that stealing was wrong. We knew that looking at pornography was wrong. You know, we were fortunate, being raised in this part of the country, fortunate to know basic right from basic wrong. But at some point of our lives, I think it's safe to say that most all of us had that moment. And maybe it wasn't a dramatic decision of one moment, but it was a slow, gradual weakening where we went through a phase that after resisting temptation for some time, we weakened to the point where we did what our flesh wanted to do. And we knew it was wrong. We knew it was wrong. But we did it anyway. And when we did that, we lost our freedom. Let me try to explain it this way. You see, we're created beings, which means there is a creator. Amen. There is a creator. And I'm sorry to go against your textbooks in school, but you didn't just evolve. You were created. I was created. And because of the fact that that we are created beings, there is no such thing as absolute and total independence. Now, we want it because that's part of the American dream. And, but until you can control your own conception and birth, and until you can predict exactly when you're going to die and how you're going to die, I don't care if you are off of the grid, you're still not completely independent. You are still reliant on a supreme being. And He's not just a higher power. He's not just the man upstairs. He's not just the force. But He's God Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Sustainer of all life. And you, I, we, are reliant on Him. And when you accept that and say yes to God... That's when you experience complete freedom. But when you say no to God, and you say no to the Creator, then you lose your freedom. You know, many of you understand this. You remember a time when you basically said, God, I'm tired of wrestling with this temptation, and so I'm just going to give in to it. I can handle it. I can control it. I can stop whenever I want to. But but not too long down the road, all of a sudden you realize... Oh, no, I'm being controlled by this sin. And I went from having freedom to being enslaved. Let me bring it up this way that this many times shows its ugly head. This may be a little bit painful for some of you, but for some people, their number one goal in life, even though they never write it down, their number one goal in life is I will not be like my dad. Because my dad was, and you can just fill in the blank. Or I will not be like my mom. She was, and you can just fill in the blank. My family will not be like the family I grew up in. and I will make sure that history does not repeat itself in my family. And so just as the Israelites did, many people and probably some of us here today made a commitment that we would follow God wholeheartedly. We would not be like our dad or our mom or our family. But how many times have we seen this somewhere along the way? Many of these people who had good intentions, how many times have we seen them abandon God? Let me tell you something. And you can get mad at me if you want. But I want to tell you something. When someone turns their back on God, you can mark it down. Their family history will repeat itself. You you don't break patterns of sin and abuse in your family history by simply doing what you want to do, when you want, how you want, with whom you want. If you do that, chances are, History will repeat itself, and you'll wake up one day and find yourself saying, I'm just like my daddy, <laughs> just like my mama, just like my family, and, and I can't stop. I, I want to stop, but I can't. I can't change. I I want to, but I can't. My life is such a mess. My family is so dysfunctional. And I want to go back to the days when, when I had a clear conscience. I want to go back to the days when maybe people didn't like me because of my stand for God, but I liked myself. I want to go back to the days when I was connected in a healthy community surrounded by people that were leaning in towards God. And here's a question that I was thinking about Th- this week, honestly, I don't think I've ever thought about this question before. Why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that you substitute for God? I mean, for example, why is it so much easier to say, God, I know she's not good for me? God, I know he's not good for me. God, I know we don't have any business living together because we're not married. God, I know I don't have any business seeing her on the side. God, I know that this addiction is wrong. I know that this lifestyle or this habit is wrecking me financially. I know what your word says. I know that what my conscience says. But God, I'm sorry. I'm still going to say no to you and yes to what I want. Why is it easier to say no to the Creator? Than to say no to the created. Well, I wrestled with this question a lot this past week. And let me try to answer it. I believe it's easier to say no to God. Because God will not force himself. Will not force his control over you. If God wanted to control you with force. He would have created you like a robot or a puppet. Where he could push a button. And you would do exactly that. God doesn't want to control you in that sense. But here's what God wants. God wants you to willingly, on your own accord, he wants you to love him and submit to him and follow him, not because you have to, but because you want to. And the only way for that to happen is for God to give you the freedom to do what you want to do. That way, if you decide to follow him, it's out of a heart of love. It's not forced. I believe that's why it's easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the sins around us. Because God never forces us to do his will. Well, here's how this little segment of history ends. Remember, we started where Joshua said, don't you go following after other gods. And the Israelites said, far be it from us to do that. We'll be faithful. But they weren't faithful and they worshiped idols. And so in, in Judges chapter 3, verse 8, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Kushan Rishatham, king of Aram Nehiram, I think that's how you say it, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. It was almost like God said, oh, okay, you like the Canaanite ways? Have at it. Oh, oh! by the way, <laughs> they're going to rule over you until you learn your lesson. And for eight long years, they suffered at the hands of a wicked, godless pagan king whose culture and religion they had copied. Well, then at the end of eight years, what did they do? This is the good part. What did they do? They did what some of you have already done. They did what some of you hopefully are ready to do. They did what some of you need to do. They threw their hands up and said, in verse 9, they cried out to the Lord. They said, oh God, we've sinned. Oh God, we did the very thing you warned us about, God. We realize now that in trying to live out our independence, we gave it away. And we've, we've been conquered by the very culture that we copied. And they cried out, God, would you deliver us? And God, because he is so merciful, do you know what he did? Verse 9, when they cried out to the Lord, it says, he raised up for them a deliverer. <laughs> that leads me to say that one of the most amazing thing that's, things that's illustrated throughout the history of the nation of Israel is that God is a God of mercy. Amen the Israelites threw their hands up and said, God, I'm sorry, we've messed up. And he took them back. And there's nothing that gives me more joy as a pastor and nothing that gives us greater joy as a church than to celebrate the return of someone who has been serving other gods. Now, before we wrap it up, I want to get really, really practical. What do you do if you've blown it? What do you do if you've messed up? How do you get right with God again and experience intimacy with Him? There are three very basic things that I want to suggest, but before I give them to you, let me read part of Psalm 51. This is David's prayer after his friend Nathan confronted him about his sins of adultery and murder. You'll recognize this. Just gotta let this penetrate your heart here. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me. Oh God. Because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. What do you do if you've messed up? Listen to this. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Skipping on down to verse 7. What what do you do if you've messed up? (laughs) Oh God, purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Oh, Give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Let me now rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. So... How do, we rec- how do we recover whenever we've blown it three basic steps number one just be honest get honest stop rationalizing stop minimizing stop saying well everyone else does it stop comparing yourself to a church member or a board member maybe even a pastor that does worse things stop rationalizing and do what david did he got honest and he said i have sinned against the lord And it's only after we get honest with God and say, I sinned, I blew it, I've messed up and it's nobody's fault except for my own and I'm not going to blame my daddy even though he maybe wasn't a good example. I'm not going to blame my church even though maybe they didn't help matters out much. Only when we get honest and accept the blame are we candidates to receive God's grace. So be honest. Number two, ask God for forgiveness. You know, David prayed to God and said, have mercy on me, wash away my guilt and cleanse me from all my sin. And he didn't try to cut a deal and he didn't say, God, okay, if if you'll give this to me, I promise I'll serve you the rest of my days. No. He said, I've sinned. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And thirdly, don't forget this one. You need to receive his forgiveness. You know, when the prophet Nathan said to David, God is forgiving you, David didn't go back to the palace and say, oh, I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. By the way, I know the struggle of forgiving yourself. I I personally know that. But remember, Christ died on the cross. He paid for all of our sins. And, And the moment you trust Christ, we are positionally right in our relationship with God. And so you must accept his forgiveness so if you've blown it this past week or this past month or year or whatever and i have a feeling that probably several of us are there let's be honest let's confess it and receive god's forgiveness and i realize there are some consequences you may not be able to go back to your 20s. You may not get them back. You may not get your 30s back. You may not be able to reparent your children. You may not be able to have that first marriage again. Those years, those experiences, once they're gone, many times they're gone. But, but God can restore back to you peace and freedom, a right standing with him. So, if you're in the category of having blown it, Welcome to the Church of God Holiness. You belong here because you're just like the rest of us. But let's not stay there and let's receive forgiveness. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we spend just a couple of moments here reflecting on your word, I pray that you would give us honesty. Lord, I'm not super naive here. I know that there are sins that are represented here. Father, I'm aware that there are probably some affairs that are taking place. I'm I'm aware of the fact that there are some people that are probably looking at pornography. There are probably some people here that may be even living together out of marriage. Lord, there are those that may be involved in some gossip and stealing cheating whatever father i pray that there would be that honesty right now that would just come over us and that we would not try to justify it but we would be like david and just be honest lord right now we want to just ask for forgiveness lord you say that your blood will cleanse us from all wrong And I pray that you would do that for us. And then, God, I ask that we would accept that. And I know what it is to be hounded by sins of the past. And, Lord, I pray that we would let that go at the cross. Lord, I pray that we would leave here in a right standing with you. Lord, would you just give us that honesty this moment. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Is there somebody, and I want just brutal honesty, nobody looking, but is there anybody that would just lift a hand and say, God has really spoken to me today. Would you pray for me, Pastor? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. hand. And yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, yours. Thank you. Would you look up here just a moment here? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Now, I'm not one of those that just gets a big thrill out of having a whole bunch of people at the altar. So I'm just going to leave it up between you and God. If you feel like God wants you to come, this is a safe place. This is not a place that means you're a terrible person, but it's just a safe place. And if there's somebody here this morning that you believe God wants you to come, we'd love to pray with you. You don't confess your sins to me nor anybody else. You confess them to God. But I'm not going to be so arrogant to say that this is the only place that you can get right with God you may want to go find the quiet place in the woods or just at home but those of you that raised your hand would you please take care of things I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm not going to give very long I believe that if you want to come forward and pray there ought to be just a quick response so is there anyone that as you've been honest with yourself today you just want to pray right now you want to have some people gather around you and just pray and again we're not going to take long i just want to give you a few seconds here is there anybody that you want to come and pray you want some of the people of the church to just gather around you anyone if you just kneel here maybe there's could we have a couple of ladies that would would gather around this one. A couple of ladies, come quickly. Is there anyone else you want to just pray? Someone else want to seek God? Could we have a couple of others gather around this one over here? A couple more ladies, could you please come? Someone else just follow God's leadership this morning. Now while they're praying here and I want to have a closing prayer in just a moment but here's what I want to ask. Heads bowed, eyes closed again, nobody looking. Are, Are there some people here that would say, Pastor, I didn't come forward but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a quiet place today. And I'm going to ask God to resolve this issue in my heart. Is there anyone that would just lift a hand and say, with God's help, I'm going to do that. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else? Pastor, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find some place today and pray. God, you see the hands. You see the hearts. You see the commitments. You see the need for commitment today. Lord, I ask that you would help us to make sure that we're not worshiping those false idols. We don't want to lose our freedom. And so, God, for those hands that were raised, I pray that there would be freedom. Lord, you know those things that they've been convicted of, and maybe others that have, that they're still wanting to do their own thing because it's pleasure, it's fun. But Lord, I pray that you would just bring conviction into their hearts. Thank you again, Lord, for your word that sometimes is so tough. But Lord, we need your word because it's light and it's life. Lord, for these who have come forward, who are praying, you know what the needs are. And I ask that these ladies would leave here knowing that they have put everything at the foot of the cross thank you for your mercy that endures forever and Father as we go throughout this afternoon tomorrow is a holiday let us just really be mindful of your voice the still small voice that speaks to us and for what you do for us we will praise you in Jesus precious and holy name and all of God's people said Amen